Thank you. Please have a seat. One of the uh, one of the challenging tasks today is to figure out which word to preach because I've got a sermon that I've just done in Albury on notes here, a dedication service, a sermon for Wodonga morning, and another one at night, and they're all different. So let's see if we can get the right one. Here we go. One of the uh, one of the memories I have of our preparation for going overseas to work was the requirement that we had to uh, have a full medical examination before we went. Uh, one of the questions the Papua New Guinean government was curious to know was whether we had HIV AIDS, which I always found amusing because there was way more HIV AIDS in that country than there was in Australia. But anyway, so uh, we underwent the process of a full checkup, make sure everything opened and closed and did everything that it needed to do, <laughs> including, yes, including all the opening and closing. Um, including um, the doctor who was a friend of mine who had a really close listen to uh, the chest, the heart, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the examination, Rosemary said, you're good, no worries, signed it off. And then later that afternoon, she did something that you never want a doctor to do. She rang up. And she said, David, I've just been reflecting a little bit on... Uh, the, the examination that I did. And when I was listening to your heart, there was a bit of noise there that, uh, that I'm a bit concerned about. That makes you feel good, doesn't it, when your doctor does that to you? She said, I'm just a bit concerned that there was some noise that could be a leaking heart valve. Now, I'd not that long ago, not that many years before that, um, rebuilt a, a ride on lawnmower engine, including doing the valve. So I knew what a heart valve... You'd have to take the head off... You would have to do, you know, get the valves in, have to grind them up and all that kind of stuff, put it all back together and hope it worked. So I had these visions of what, you know, a leaking heart valve, good grief. She referred me off to a cardiologist. The cardiologist put me on the table, performed some kind of procedure, I can't remember what it was, ECG or something like that. At the end of that examination, the cardiologist looked at me and said, David, I'm going to put you out of your misery. There is nothing at all wrong with your heart. All your doctor could hear was the rush of blood from a very strong heart that was pumping blood through the body. You can go and I don't need to follow up at all. And I thought, what a wonderful relief that is. And to this day, 25 or so years later, that same heart, the one that was listened to all those years ago, continues to beat along at night time. It sort of goes along fairly slowly, around the 45, 50 mark. Daytime, a bit higher. On the bike, wow, right up there. But, you know, of all of that, I've never actually seen it work. I've never actually seen the heart. And I'm pretty sure that most people here have not seen theirs either, right? It just does its work, unseen, unheralded, but very important. And in some senses, I think that's a great metaphor for um, the way in which uh, we as servants of God are to live. We are to go about the process of serving the body without drawing attention to ourselves, just doing what we're good at, whatever that might happen to be. Well, over the past couple of weeks, for those who have been with us, we've been exploring Romans 12. And in the context of this series, I did say to you, you know, if you, if you wanted a, a passage of Scripture to base your year on, there's a lifetime of work in Romans 12. In fact, 
there's a lifetime of work in Romans 12, 1 and 2, because in verse 1, uh, Paul talks about being living sacrifices. In other words, everything that we do has the opportunity, has the potential to be an act of worship. In Romans 12, 2 that we looked at last week, uh, we talked about the transformation or the renewing of our minds, also a work of a lifetime. And I said to you last week uh, that I am pleased... Actually, the language I used last week was, I'm glad that Paul talked about the mind because I have heard on occasions uh, people say to me, you know, when you come to church, you need to check your mind in at the door, which I think would have to be, and I'll say this, one of the stupidest things you can say. Fancy that. It's basically akin to saying, to be a Christian, you've got to be mindless. And I think the exact polar opposite, there's there's, uh, redundancies in that sentence, the polar opposite is the, tr- the truth. We actually need to engage our minds to be followers of Jesus. And the renewing of our mind is part of that process, engaging our mind. Some years ago, um, I was watching a debate between an Islamic pol- an apologist and a Christian apologist. It was fascinating to listen to uh, the backwards and forwards here. One of the things that the Islamic apologist could not get his head around. He described some, he expressed at least some incredulity that this could be the case because the Christian apologist said, if you want to follow the Lord, if you want to keep the law of the Lord, there's two things you need to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. The law is summed up in those two commands. How can that be, he said? Surely you need all these other things so people know how to live. But actually, no. Jesus said, that's the core, these are the principles that you work with, figure it out, use your mind. And this is really significant because one of the challenges of our age, I think, is compartmentalisation, you know, living a Christian life here but a secular life there. And it comes about, even in Christians, when we choose some of the laws, you know, we'll be obedient to this law or that law or this law or that law from the Old or the New Testament. And so we live by that and one of the risks sometimes there is, we teach in that same kind of way, when actually what we need to do is develop people's minds so that no matter what the context, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the issue is, people are able to say, let me think about that through the lens of the Scripture. Let me think about that in light of the revelation of God's Holy Spirit. Let me apply what God has given to me, my renewed mind, to whatever it might be. Because not every moral issue that we run into is described in the Bible, is it? As the old chestnut, for instance, someone might say to you, what does the Bible say about drug taking? I'll just use that as an example. Well, not a lot, but actually quite a lot, if you look at it through the lens of the Scripture. And so we spoke about how we are to develop a Christian uh, worldview, which is not a, not a, a worldview apart from uh, our world, but a worldview that's shaped and influenced by our transformed mind. So then we come to the next few verses in Romans chapter 12, and I've wondered sometimes what there is behind this warning in chapter 12, verse 3, because Paul says here, for the grace given to me, he's calling uh, some apostolic authority to the uh, table here, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Why did Paul feel it necessary to say that? Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment. What was going on in Rome 
that Paul felt it necessary to say that. There's a, a few ideas that I have. Let me throw a couple of them at you. I don't know which ones are right, although I suspect uh, the third option I give is probably closest to the truth. Perhaps, <coughs> perhaps there were some people in, in Rome, some Gentile Christians perhaps, who were looking at, uh, at some of their Jewish Christian colleagues and were saying things like this, you know, you Jews, you, you had so many opportunities through history, you were God's covenant people, uh, the ones that God called, the, the chosen race, and yet you failed so many times, and now, so now God's turned to us, and we are the ones now who are enjoying God's favour. We are the ones who are blessed by God, and you are kind of, you know, you're still here, but it's kind of, well, you know, you, you haven't quite made the cut, perhaps... There's some of that going on here. Maybe if you back up into uh, Romans chapter 11, you'll see there that Paul actually makes a really strong case for the ongoing role that Israel has in so much as he says uh, God has sustained, God has protected a remnant of his people who he will use and that Israel will be saved somehow. We're not sure how that's going to work, uh, but there is a place. So perhaps uh, one theory we might posit behind verse 3 not thinking more highly of yourselves than you ought. Could be because there were people who were proud. Perhaps another theory is that there were people in Rome a bit like some of the people in the church in Corinth. Because when Paul wrote to Corinth, there were some people in the church who were saying, we are the spiritual ones, we are the wise, we are the knowledgeable. You can see them growing before your eyes, puffed up with pride. And perhaps there were some like that in Rome too, uh, however, I suspect that the opposite is often more commonly the case, that even in the life of the contemporary church, there's not so many people who are puffed up with pride at their expertise or their wonderful gifts. There are so many of us that struggle to know where we fit. And there are so many people who are uncertain about how to actually exercise the gifts or even what the gifts that God has given them. And so rather than a superiority complex perhaps the greater wrestle for some is inferiority. Good theories. Uh, however, I wonder whether Paul is actually simply addressing a transformation that takes place when a mind is renewed, and that is uh, that self-centeredness that so characterises an untransformed mind is done away with. Let's... Uh, let's uh, translate that statement into plain English. In, in a typical world view, who's the most important person in the world? I am. Everything in the advertising world confirms this. You deserve this holiday. You should get this new car. You should have whatever you want. If there's something in your life that's not bringing you joy, what should you do with it? Turf it. And that goes for clothes or relationships. What is the, uh, the typical kind of uh, posture of, uh, of, I don't know, we're generalising grossly here, I know, uh, the typical posture of the average person in the world, my happiness is my chief aim and, and objective. If I'm not happy, there's a problem. And so I've got to deal with whatever's not making me happy. Sometimes we actually have to work at relationships because we don't always find they nourish us in the way that we need, but we don't dispose of them. And so perhaps Paul's actually saying, you know, what's going on 
uh, is that we will no longer conform, to, uh, sorry, uh, uh, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Um, be done with the self-centeredness. A transformed mind needs to be delivering us from self-centeredness and this is important because as Paul goes on to explain in this passage, as lives, uh, sorry, as followers of Jesus, our lives are to be lived out in community. We are one body. We are one community. We've been wonderfully reminded of that today as Matt and Sarah brought their children to be dedicated. They need you as much as you need them. And when Paul and Janet come to be baptised in a few moments, it's a, it's a way of saying we want to be part of this body, we are connected with this body and so self-centeredness needs to be dealt with because there's no room for that in the life of the body. As we move on in Romans, Romans 12, 4 to 5, Paul uses the metaphor of the body to describe the church and this is a well-known metaphor because uh, Paul uses it in a number of his letters it's not as detailed here in 1 Corinthians, but it makes two important points. First of all, though uh, we are one body, we each have different functions in the body, and though we have different functions, we belong to one another. Now, I want to say something that's not actually going to apply to most of you. It may, but probably won't. And that is this... Um, one of the challenges we face today is the increasingly large number of Christian people who no longer participate in the life of the body. Let's call them unchurched Christians. People who would acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, people who worship the Lord but have chosen for whatever reason, sometimes because they've been hurt, sometimes for other reasons, uh, just are not part of a local church body and instead tune into their preferred um, church which is church online. Now for those who are watching online please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here because there are a number of people who are unable to come physically because of illness, distant circumstance or whatever who find uh, the live stream services most helpful and really encouraging and we're glad to be able to offer that connection. But I want to say this, television church is not church just because hundreds of other people might be watching it at the same time as you are in their lounge rooms. And why not? Well, Paul suggests two reasons. First, as we've seen in this passage, we can't renew our minds without the active help of other believers. I can't understand or apply the scriptures without the active dialogue with other people who are studying the same scriptures. If we were to do an advertisement, can we do this right now, Ashley? This is a free one for you, for small groups. We're going to be doing our... Um, what are we going to be doing? Church-wide series. <laughs> this is unscripted, you can tell. Our church-wide series is coming up just a couple of weeks' time. We're inviting the whole church to dive into the same scriptures, to learn together. It's part of being the body, learning together exercising our minds by learning one with another and so uh, that's going to be really really helpful in terms of renewing our minds because we'll be able to engage with God's word secondly one of the reasons we can't properly express the life of a, a disciple apart from the nurturing context of a community of brothers and sisters is because you need other people to pray for you you need other people to encourage you you need other people to model what it is to be a Christian. You need other people to challenge you. I think I've told this story before, but 
um, years ago, very early in my ministry, I had uh, at least two, there might have been three retired pastors in the congregation. If, if nothing else, that puts some pressure on the new guy, right? <laughs> because you know there are guys there who are going to be watching you. They were terrific. They were terrific to have. And, uh, and one of them was a guy by the name of Chris. Some of you might even know Chris Ward. Um, he's just not long gone to be with the Lord. Very early on, there was some stuff I was doing when I was preaching, you know, getting a little bit loose around the edges in a couple of areas, and I wasn't noticing it. Chris noticed it, and with some trepidation, I might say, he wrote me a letter. He said, Dear David, so on, so on, uh, pointing this out, and I read it. Now, there's, of course, two ways you can go. You can say, What do you mean? You know, fancy being criticism. But I said to him, Chris, this is really helpful because you've actually helped me see a blind spot. And that's one of the blessings of being part of a community. Other people can see our blind spots in terms of our obedience to God that we can't see. And so there was a correction that we were able to make, I was able to make, as a result of being part of that community. In this passage, Paul then moves on to speaking of the gifts and again the list here has some overlap, perhaps less well known than the list of gifts that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4.11. And the question I kind of was wondering about this week was how does thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, uh, sorry, how does not thinking, <laughs> let's get that right, how does not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought but instead think of ourselves with sober judgment relate to our use and exercising of our spiritual gifts and how does it work in a community? Well, here's a couple of easy observations. What's clear from the lists that we find here in the scriptures is that all good gifts come from God. Everything that we have comes from the Lord and Paul describes these as gifts of God's grace. The second thing we could say is across the list that Paul gives us here, there's agreement that the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. So whatever you do in terms of exercising your spiritual gift, it's not to pump up your tyres, it's to actually build up the body. It's a good way to test whether the gift's being used well or not. There's also another observation we make and that is as we look at uh, Romans, we look at 1 Corinthians, as we look at Ephesians, there's quite a bit of difference in terms of the gifts that are described and so we look at the supernatural gifts in 1 Corinthians or the practical gifts that we have here in Romans and all that suggests to me is that God gives a variety of gifts and we need to use and honour all of them not just the public ones, not just the charismatic ones, not just the popular ones, but all of them. But there's one more observation that I need to make that might be slightly uncomfortable and that is to draw a line of connection between verse 3 where we're told to consider ourselves with sober judgment and verses 6 to 8 because it might be possible to think that Paul was actually uh, aiming his warning about not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, at those who were exercising their gifts very publicly. So, for example, let's use this example, and I can do this safely because um, I make fun of myself. The preacher who stands up on the platform, which is 910 millimetres exactly higher than you are, so that automatically gives me a little bit more authority, doesn't it? And then you add another 195 centimetres to that, it's fantastic. Um, 
the preacher stands up in front of everyone. He is the most eloquent, the most gifted speaker, a great communicator and gets the feedback from everyone and, and everyone sees that. It even goes on the television, good grief. And uh, he, th this guy could so easily become enamoured by, uh, by that because even after the service, when it's all over and done with, he's walking up the passageway and people saying, great message, well done, really enjoyed that. Don't stop doing that, by the way. And, <laughs> and so, it's so it becomes so easy uh, for that person to become puffed up with pride. So much so that after the service, when everybody has gone home, the same preacher is walking down the aisle and he notices that uh, these guys here, Andrew and Robin, have been eating some dry biscuits through the service and there's crumbs all over the seats. And he looks at that and thinks to himself, you know what, that isn't actually my job to clean that up. That's, that should be somebody else do that. You know? It would be really easy to think that Paul was actually addressing that when he was speaking about do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Easy application and probably a valid one. But let's talk about something way less comfortable. Because that person that I've just described could so easily be filled with pride and we would name it as pride, right? But what about the person who says in their heart, probably never out loud, God really hasn't given me much. God can't really use me. There's nothing I can do to help build up the body. And even if there was, it wouldn't make much of a difference. Is there pride in that? Too jolly right there is. Because in essence, what that person is saying is, I know better than God. And so we have on one hand pride, which is obvious, and we'd like to shoot it down and need to when that happens. Uh, so <laughs> be gentle when you do that, of course. Uh, <laughs> But on the other hand, talking seriously, you've got this easily identified but equally on this side, pride which can manifest itself in an attitude which says, I've got nothing, I bring nothing to the table. How could God use me? God's Holy Spirit, well, yes, but who am I? That's equally prideful. And this passage actually says, think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, think carefully. Consider carefully what God says about you, who you are in Christ, the fact that God has gifted each one of us differently. We are all part of one body, we serve one another, we need one another. And so thinking of ourselves with sober judgment means looking through that lens and actually addressing whatever it is that God's given us that we might edify and build up the body of Christ. One of the phrases that I've deliberately ignored uh, in this passage is there at the end of verse 3 where Paul says, do these things in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Uh, we have collectively, those who have gathered here and acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, have encountered the gospel, the measure of faith that God has given to us. And we are reminded, and we'll finish with this thought, we are reminded of Ephesians chapter 3.20 where uh, we have a God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine and so for those who are struggling in that space asking that question now what am I who am I how can I serve the body take hold of that verse because Paul says you know we have a God who can do way more than we can even dare to believe through us broken vessels 
but vessels that are in his hands. Let's pray together uh, as we conclude this part of our service. Lord, we, uh, we are challenged and, uh, and deeply so because we're mindful and if we're d- deeply, truthfully honest with you, Lord, uh, there are times where pride so easily gets in the way. Pride gets in the way where we seek the accolades of others, where we want that others might see our work. Pride gets in the way when we believe that we are, we are of little consequence in the body, where we have no role, where whatever it is that you've gifted with us is of little use. Lord, that is absolutely not the case. And so we pray that you will help correct our thinking in whatever direction it needs to be corrected, that together we might serve you, that we might think soberly of ourselves, that we might think of ourselves in the way that you think of us and you value us. You have created us to serve one another and to serve you. And so as has been demonstrated in our service today with the variety of people involved and the variety of activities that we have participated in and will continue to do so now in a moment, Lord, just grow us in Christ's likeness, we pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.